When discouragement tells you to give up, you can count on God's Word for encouragement to keep pressing on. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah reveals five compelling reasons not to give up, all from the story of Nehemiah, who rallied his people before the enemies who had discouraged them. To introduce the conclusion of his message, Slaying the Giant of Discouragement, here's David. Well, thank you for joining us. As we begin this month together, we're talking about um, some of the issues that we face as believers, uh, and we've put it in this little uh, construct. These are the giants that we face every day, and we need to know how to slay our giants. Today, we're talking about uh, slaying the giant of discouragement. How do we deal with that? What What do we do when we just feel so down and discouraged? You know, we've had a couple of uh, years where this has been more prevalent than before. COVID can discourage you, and there seems to be an uptick in that coming back in some form, and people who've had this and get it again, and they get, they, they get sick and discouraged. How do you deal with discouragement? We're talking about it. We had some good points to make yesterday, and we'll finish up that discussion in just a moment. I want to tell you that you can get a copy of the... Um, whole course that we're teaching. I like to think about this as kind of being a class, and I have the textbook for you. The textbook is Slaying the Giants in Your Life, uh, published, beautifully redesigned, and all of the content of these messages uh, is in this book. There's also a study guide and a CD package. You can get all of this from Turning Point. Let me tell you how to do it. To get the book, Slaying the Giants in Your Life. Send a gift of any size during the month of February and ask for it. That's it. Uh, Large or small, do the best you can. Be as generous as you can be to help us do what we're doing to get the word out about the Bible and the teachings in the Bible. But when you send your gift, we won't ask about the size of your gift. We'll just send you the book. Simply say, send me the book, Slaying the Giants, and it'll be on its way to you. And then for the other materials, go to davidjeremiah.org our website, and you can see the materials displayed there and choose what you want. And this is a great study for small groups. I'll say that again. When you have the textbook and the study guides and the CD package, you're ready to roll and uh, teach this and facilitate this among your friends. All right. This is part two of Slaying the Giant of Discouragement. How many of you know criticism can be very discouraging? You know, every once in a while, I get a critical letter. No, actually, I get a lot of them. (laughs) You know, from the radio and the other things we do, you can't speak as much as I speak and not have people not like what you say sometimes. And you know, it seems to me like the enemy always knows exactly when to send that letter. Have you ever noticed that? When you're already kind of struggling to keep things going and moving forward, and you just about got yourself rewrited And then this letter comes along, and when you get done reading that, you just look at it, and you feel in your heart, if that's true, why don't I just go turn in my Bible? You know, it's time to quit. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we can let criticism discourage us. Maybe you work someplace where somebody's on your case all the time. You know what? You can take that for a little while, but over a long period of time, if you don't stay focused on the things of God, it can just wear away your resolve. I read about... A friend of mine, R.C. Sproul, who said that once in a while he gets some critical letters. He said, I live a public life, a public ministry. I write books and I get letters all the time and they just rake me up one side and down the other. 
And I think people sit up nights thinking up ways to devastate me, he wrote. So I talked to another friend of mine who's in public ministry about it, and I asked him, do you ever get any hate mail? And he said, I get it all the time. Well, how in the world do you handle it, I asked him. His friend said, I write these people back and I say, dear Mr. So-and-so, I want to warn you about something dreadful. Some lunatic is sending me outrageous letters and signing your name to them. Isn't that a great, isn't that a great thought? I want to remember that one. <laughs> Sometimes it's important to recognize that discouragement can come out of the fear that people put into our lives. Well, those are four reasons why people get discouraged. And if you've been discouraged recently, if you go underneath the discouragement, you'll find one or two of those things at work. So what do we do about it? How do we deal with discouragement? Once again, the Word of God has got such a wonderful way of helping us sort this through. And I want to just take it in the priority system that's here in the Old Testament Scriptures. The first thing you do, which is normally the last thing we do, the first thing you do is cry out to God. How many of you know that most of the time, if we're not careful, we wait and do that last? We have this little phrase that goes like this. Well, I guess we're down to this. All we can do now is pray. (laughs) My goodness, why didn't you start there? Notice what happened when the attacks began to intensify upon Nehemiah's workforce. It says in verse 4 and again in verse 9 these words. Nehemiah prayed out loud. He said, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their heads and give them as a plunder to the land of captivity. And it says in verse 9, nevertheless, we made our prayer to God. I want to tell you something. The first place to look when you get discouraged is up. And begin to ask God to help you deal with the issues. I find that when I can take time and I'm going through a time of discouragement to sit down with my computer and my journal And say, Lord, I just need to tell you there's some things that are going on in my life right now that I don't understand. And they're just hard. And I just try to set them down in writing and clearly tell the Lord what's on my heart. Something happens in your spirit when you begin to do that. First of all, you get it all out in the light. Sometimes when you write it out and read it back, it wasn't quite the way you thought it was before you crystallized it in writing. But more than anything else, you begin to cry out to the Lord as Nehemiah did. That's the beginning place. If you don't think that's the right thing to do, then I challenge you to read the Psalms because the Psalms are filled with the journal entries of David who in the midst of difficulty and discouragement cried out to Almighty God. After you cry out to God, the next thing you need to do is to continue the work that God has given you to do. What is it that we are prone to do when we get discouraged? What do you want to do when you get discouraged? If you're in the midst of a project or something's going on in your life and and you get discouraged, what do you want to do, class? Quit. (laughs) Quit. Or I'm out of here. I'm going up to my cabin in the woods and I'm not coming down for a couple years. You know, that's the way some people think. And we stop doing the one thing that has the greatest possibility to help us get through the process. Satan knows that if he can demoralize us and neutralize us through discouragement he can stop the work that God is doing through us 
And what is interesting to me is that when Nehemiah was discouraged, when the discouraging words came, the scripture tells us that he continued to do what he was already doing. Yes, he had to deal with the problem, but he didn't stop building the wall. It says in verse 6, so we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. On a later occasion, Sanballat and Geshem tried to get Nehemiah to leave the work that he was doing on the wall. And come down to have a conference with him. And I always have loved this response. Nehemiah said in chapter 6 and verse 3. So I sent message to them saying. I am doing a great work. So that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? What was he saying? He was saying I'm going to keep on doing the work that God has called me to do. And sometimes you have to put both feet on the floor with some authority and say, I don't feel like doing this, but I'm going to do this because this is what God has called me to do. By the way, I've been learning as I'm getting older that there's this strange thing that life does to us. It goes like this. The time you feel like doing it the least is the time you need to do it the most. Like exercise, right? (laughs) If we let our feelings rule... We will soon be dissipated, but we can walk through our feelings and work through our feelings. When we feel like bailing, we need to keep on building. And when we feel like walking, we need to keep on working. And God can help us as we work through our discouragement. Notice the third thing. It concentrated on the big picture. You see, what was going on in Nehemiah's time was that these people were working on little sections of the wall. There were spaces between each of them to the point where they didn't have a lot of communication with each other. And all they could see was the little pile of rubbish they were dealing with. The little bit of wall they were building. It was hard to get any perspective. Sometimes when all you can see is what's going on in your life, you look around and you think the whole world is just like what you're dealing with. As far as they knew, there was nothing going on on the other side. Nothing down the way a little bit. They just kind of lost perspective. And Nehemiah did something very, very important. In verses 13 and 14, we read it. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. And I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the leaders and to the rest of the people, Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Fight for your daughters, your wives, and your houses. How many of you know that fear and discouragement are experienced by us, each one, one at a time? And I can imagine the Jews as they were spread out around the wall. They couldn't see what was being done and they needed somebody to rally them together so they could see the big picture and not get lost in their little vision of one part of the wall they were working on. So Nehemiah organized the people and he gave them a sense of community and he developed them so that though they were spread out from one another, they knew that they were not alone. Discouragement so often comes when we lose sight of God's purposes and we get out of perspective. One of my favorite all-time people is Irma Bombeck. During her 30-year career, she wrote a daily humor column, published 15 books, was recognized as one of the 25 most influential women in America, appeared on the Good Morning America program, and was on the front cover of Time magazine. She also was given many honors and had over 15 doctor's degrees conferred upon her. But during that same time, most people don't know this, Irma Bombeck also experienced incredible troubles. She had breast cancer. She had a mastectomy. She had kidney failure. And she always somehow was able to work through those difficulties and have this perspective of the whole picture. 
She wrote about it one time. She said, I speak at college commencements and I tell everyone I'm up there and they're down there, not because of my success, but because of my failure. Then I proceed to spin out all of them, a comedy record album that sold two copies in Beirut, (laughs) a sitcom that lasted about as long as a donut lasts at our house, a Broadway play that never saw Broadway, book signings where I attracted two people, one who wanted directions to the restroom and the other who wanted to buy the desk. (laughs) She said, what you have to tell yourself is this, I'm not a failure. I failed at doing something, but there's a big difference. Personnel and career-wise, it's been a corduroy road. I've buried babies, lost parents, had cancer, worried over kids, but the trick is to put it all together in perspective, and that's what I do for a living, she said. She did it very well. That's why we all liked her. She made us laugh at ourselves and think about life in perspective, not the isolated little challenges that we face. I have a friend who's a pastor in Minnesota whose name is Leith Anderson. He's a wonderfully gifted man who is somewhat of a futurist and has written some helpful books to all of us as pastors so that we can learn how to deal with life as it's coming at us so quickly. He has a book out called Leadership That Works and in this book, interestingly enough, he talks about his times of discouragement. He says, in the heat of a tough leadership battle, it's easy to lose hope and become pessimistic and convince ourselves of defeat. But he said, as Christians, we have to open our eyes to see the view from where Jesus sits. When I am discouraged and my hope runs thin, I remember that I'm part of something much bigger than I am, much more important than the local church. And the gates of hell will not overcome that, says the word of God. Seeing the worldwide kingdom of God, not just my little corner of it, is enormously encouraging to me. It builds my faith and strengthens my hope. And then for the next several pages in his book, he just details one thing after the other that talk about all the good things that are happening because of the church of Jesus Christ. He goes through all the countries of the world where massive evangelism is taking place. And then he comes back to the United States, and I haven't time to give you any of these except two. He begins to look at the United States and what's going on here, and he reports that the number of people who are attending church each week is now at 102 million. And to give that number some perspective, he compares it to professional sports attendance. Professional baseball, basketball, and football games in the USA last year drew 94 million fans. That means that more people go to church every week than go to professional sports all year. In fact, sports attendance equals about 2% of church attendance. So the next time somebody says, you know, sports are just taking over our world, you need to remind them they're not even 2% of church attendance yet. Isn't that interesting? Just a matter of perspective. In another place in his book, he talks about what's happening with our young people. And he makes a comparison that for every 100 worshipers in a Protestant church in America on the typical weekend who are between the ages of 70 to 79, there are 160 to 200 between the ages of 20 to 29. Never once in a while you hear that the young people are staying away from our churches in droves. No, they're not. No, they're not. But you have to step back, don't you? You have to step back and take a look so you don't get caught up in the things that can sometimes drain away the energy of your life and discourage you. It's a matter of seeing the big picture. Then I want to remind you, 
And you're going to hear this consistently throughout this series, that in the midst of discouragement, you need to learn how to claim the encouraging promises of Almighty God. Go to the Word. Go to the Word of God. The one thing that you're prone to do when you get discouraged is to say, you know, I don't feel like reading the Bible today. I'm so down. I tell people, you need to learn the principle of force feeding. Get the book out, open it up, stick your feet on the floor, put your body in a chair, put the book on the desk, and start reading it out loud. And read out loud. And sometimes I come to the Lord at the beginning of my period of fellowship with Him, and I don't know if you've ever done this. I say, Lord, Lord God, I need something from you today. I'm going through a rough place here. God, I don't want to just read these words. I want you to speak to me through your word. And I'm asking you, meet me in your word today, Lord. Sometimes I've said, I'm not going to quit reading until I hear from you. And God will come and he'll talk to you and he'll help you through his precious word to get over the bumps of discouragement in your life. This is an encouraging book, my friends. This is a book that will fuel the fire of your recovery and your return to the main road. There are verses like Psalm 46, 1 to 3. I love this passage. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear even though the earth be removed and the mountains be carried into the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There are actually two passages in the New Testament where the word discourage is found. And it reminds us that it's possible for us to get discouraged Doing good things. Have you read these words? From 2 Thessalonians 3.13 it says, But as for you brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And the words grow weary mean to get discouraged. Did you know you can get discouraged doing good? (laughs) My friends, you can be out making calls on people in the hospital. You can be teaching Sunday school. You can be giving your heart to it all. And in the midst of it all, you can get discouraged. Did you know that? And the word of God says, don't get discouraged doing good. In the book of Galatians says the very same thing. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we don't get discouraged. Let the word of God speak to your heart. Claim the promises of God's word. That's how you get through discouragement. And then last but not least, carry somebody else's burden. If you read verses 16 through 23 in the fourth chapter of Nehemiah, you're going to find something interesting there. You're going to find over and over people helping each other. Some people carrying, some people guarding, some people building, all of them wearing a sword. At the end of the passage, it says they stayed up all night. They didn't even go back to their homes. They stayed and says we didn't even change clothes except for washing (laughs) What were they doing? They were protecting one another and helping one another and coming together in community to make this happen. They were carrying one another's burdens. How many of you know what happens when you get discouraged? You get so inward, you get your own little pity party and you think the whole world is against you and you really get down and you forget of all the other things out there that you have something to offer to people. I found this, well, I haven't even thought about it on occasion when I've been discouraged and I had on my agenda that I needed to call somebody on the phone who was sick or go to the hospital and see somebody who was in difficult straits. And I've been discouraged and, and I've said, Lord, I don't have anything to give these people. And in the process of going to carry somebody else's burden, I felt that my burden was lightened. Have you ever had that happen? You see, God hasn't meant us to carry all of our own burdens. He's meant for us to carry the burdens of one another and to encourage one another. When we get discouraged, 
Here's my best counsel. Find somebody who needs your encouragement and go encourage them. Well, you say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, I need encouragement. If you want encouragement, go sow some and it'll come back to you. And in the process of encouraging and carrying the burden, you'll feel the burden begin to lift off of you. Discouragement is a real challenge. And in our day and age, as we face the challenges of our very complicated culture, we need to understand how from the word of God to deal with discouragement when it comes. It's easy for the enemy to use discouragement to get a foot into our life, open the door, and then all kinds of things can come in when we're discouraged. The partner of Gary Smalley in the marriage seminars over the years tells about a woman who came up to him after he had been teaching at a conference in which he had been speaking about the importance of affirming one another and encouraging one another. And she told John about something that her son did with her granddaughter that illustrated what he had been talking about during the last hour in his conference. She said, my son has two daughters and one is five and one is in the terrible twos. And when a grandmother says this child is in the terrible twos, believe me, this child is in the terrible twos. She said, for several years, my son has taken his oldest girl for a date, but he had never taken the two-year-old until recently. On his first date with the younger one, he took her out to breakfast to a local fast food restaurant. And they'd just gotten their pancakes, and my son decided it was a good time to tell this child how much he loved her and how much he appreciated her. So he leaned over the table and he said, Jenny, I want you to know how much I love you and how special you are to mom and to me. We prayed for you for years, and now that you're here and growing up to be such a wonderful girl, we couldn't be more proud of you. And once he had said all of this, he stopped talking and reached over for his fork to begin eating. But he never got the fork to his mouth. His daughter reached out her little hand and laid it on her father's hand, and his eyes went to hers, and in a soft, pleading voice, she said, Longer, Daddy, longer. He put his fork down and proceeded to tell her some more reasons why he loved her and appreciated her. And then he reached for his fork. And the second time and a third and fourth, he heard the words, longer, daddy, longer. The father never did get much to eat. But his daughter got the emotional nourishment that she needed. In fact, a few days later, she came up to her mom spontaneously and she said, Mom, I'm really a special daughter. Daddy told me so. How many of you know that when you're discouraged, you need a word of affirmation more than you need your next meal? And you know how you're supposed to get that? From each other. Did you know that every one of us need every other one of us? There's something you can do that can help me, something I can do that can help you. As we reach out to one another and carry each other's burdens, we lift this burden of discouragement so that we can go through life with joy. I never heard anybody say, I was encouraged too much. But there are a lot of people who live in encouragement deprivation, and you and I can be the answer. Amen, amen. Well, friends, tomorrow we're gonna talk about uh, slaying the giant of loneliness, and uh, we'll get to that tomorrow here on this broadcast. 
I want to tell you something that I'm very excited about. As you know, we go to Alaska every year for an annual conference cruise. The dates this year are July 15th through the 22nd. And we have a major announcement to make today that this year on our Alaska cruise, this is for our guys, uh, James Brown and Tony Dungy are coming with their families, and they're going to be with us on this cruise. And on one of the nights of the cruise, my son Daniel, who works for the NFL Network, is going to sit down and interview these two guys about their work in the NFL, and he's going to talk to them about what it means to be a Christian in the public arena of NFL broadcasting. It will be unbelievable having these two guys, and they're so excited about coming. I've just been with James Brown recently. He's told me over and over again how thrilled they are to be able to do this. We're going to enjoy the Alaska cruise. You need to come and be with us. We're going to have a great week. Once again, the dates are July 15th through the 22nd. Go to our website and get all the information you need to make your reservations and go with us to Alaska. Well, um, once again, uh, let me remind you that we are studying the challenges we face. We have called them giants, and indeed they are. And I hope that you can uh, stay with us every day during this month as we cycle through these various challenges we face as Christians. We know that we have the power to slay them if we trust in the Lord. Let's learn how to do it together. See you tomorrow. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. How are you being encouraged by this ministry? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Slaying the Giants in Your Life and learn how to banish the giants from the promised land of your life. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue slaying the giants in your life on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. 
Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. In the 2nd century A.D., a Greek writer named Lucian wrote about Christians. It is incredible to see the fervor with which the people of that religion help each other in their wants. They spare nothing. Their first leader, Jesus, has put it into their heads that they are brethren. It was an odd notion that people previously unrelated to one another could now be considered brothers and sisters through faith in Jesus Christ. But that's exactly what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8. Christ was the firstborn among many brethren. If you are a Christian, you now belong to the family of God. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's family on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.